Anyone know what that is? That's music to my ears. That's another sale on Shopify, the all-in-one commerce platform to start, run, and grow your business. Shopify makes it simple to sell to anyone from anywhere. Whether you're selling shirts or sandals, start selling with Shopify and join the platform simplifying commerce for millions of businesses worldwide. With Shopify, you'll customize your online store to your brand, discover new customers, and build relationships that will keep them coming back. Shopify covers all the sales channels to successfully grow your business, from an in-person POS system to an all-in-one e-commerce platform, even across social media platforms like TikTok, Facebook, and Instagram. And thanks to 24-7 support and free on-demand business courses, Shopify is here to help you succeed every step of the way. It's how every minute, new sellers around the world make their first sale with Shopify. And you can do it too. I love how Shopify makes it simple for anyone to sell their products anywhere. Whether they're eBooks or earrings, Shopify simplifies starting and running your own successful business. When you're ready to take your idea to the world, do it with Shopify, the commerce platform powering millions of businesses down the street and around the globe. Now it's your turn to try Shopify for free and start selling anywhere. So sign up for a free trial at shopify.com slash c-suite, all lowercase on c-suite. Go to shopify.com slash c-suite, all lowercase on c-suite, to start selling online today. Shopify.com slash c-suite. You're listening to Thinking Outside the Bud, where we speak with entrepreneurs, investors, thought leaders, researchers, advocates, and policymakers who are finding new and exciting ways for cannabis to positively impact business, society, and culture. And now, here is your host, business coach, Bruce Eckfeldt. Are you a CEO looking to scale your company faster and easier? Check out Thrive Roundtable. Thrive combines a moderated peer group mastermind, expert one-on-one coaching, access to proven growth tools, and a 24-7 support community. Created by Inc. award-winning CEO and certified scaling-up business coach Bruce Eckfeldt, Thrive will help you grow your business more quickly and with less drama. For details on the program, visit Eckfeldt.com slash thrive. That's E-C-K-F-E-L-D-T dot com slash thrive. Welcome, everyone. This is Thinking Outside the Bud. I'm Bruce Eckfeldt. I'm your host. And our guest today is Andy Poticha. He is CEO at Cannabis Facility Construction. We're going to talk to him about the work they're doing in cannabis. Uh, this, this topic is near and dear to my heart. I think as some of our listeners know, I started as an architect years and years ago. Uh, and so I have a fun kind of a place in my heart for people that deal with architecture and engineering and facility construction. Uh, and I've actually been quite fascinated as I've gotten into the cannabis space. So I'm always fascinated as an architect talking with people who are in the cannabis space doing this kind of work. Obviously, it's a growing industry, and part of that growth is building out facilities and building out the um, the places for housing cannabis, everything from the growing, processing, dispensing, retail. So it's a, an exciting space, exciting part of cannabis to be in. So with that, Andy, welcome to the program. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it very much. Yeah, it's my pleasure. So before we kind of dig into everything you're doing in cannabis, let's get a little background how, tell us a little bit about how you got into architecture and then how cannabis came up. What was the process? Uh, how did it unfold? Give us the story. So it's a long story. Maybe I'll try to make it as, as brief <laughs> as I can. I got started in architecture. I, want, I wanted to be an architect since I'm eight years old. Went to school for it and uh, graduated and came out really right around the time of the first Gulf War in the uh, early 90s. And 
So you're talking about uh, 31 years ago. Uh, that's from graduate school. And uh, what we found is that we just found an opportunity, not only in the architecture side, but in the construction side, because really most people's mentality, at least around here, was if you're not suing your contractor by the end of the day, that was a good experience. And we just thought <laughs> there's got to be something better than than accepting mediocrity. So 31 years ago, we uh, formed Design Construction Concepts, which was a, the first of our verticals that we have today doing design build really in the easiest entry point, but the hardest work there is high-end custom residential in old houses while people are living in them. Oh, geez, and, yeah. because, and because we <laughs> like are changing relational, the tires on a car while it's moving. <laughs> that's exactly right. That's yeah. exactly right. You've got, you know, especially today, you imagine doing work in your house, especially if it's an old house while you're living in it, working in it throughout the pandemic. It certainly is not oh, easy geez. to navigate. But it was the easiest entry point because nobody wanted to do that work, as you can imagine. And so because we were relational, we looked at design build completely, totally differently. And that was from the standpoint of what are the things that most people dislike about going through that process and how can we clean it up? I mean, everybody can talk about quality and everybody can talk about other esoteric ideas, but we wanted to have something of substance that our clients could look and say, these guys are, are a better offering than what's out there. And so what we decided that we were going to do was we were going to figure out, or we did figure out, that what we have to offer is our process, our intellectual property, and our expertise. And we quantified that based on how long it would take for us to be involved in the project, either on the design side or in the construction side. So right off the bat, we have a vested interest in how long a job takes because we figure our fees not as a percentage of construction or by square foot, but specifically by a stipulated sum. And so our clients buy everything the way that we do transparently, again, something totally different than what most GCs do. Mm-hmm. And so we really sit on the side of the, the same side of the table as they do by being a consult for them. And so we took that philosophy and really, truly did design build, not what I would call what's out there today, which is really build design contractors hiring yeah. out or, or associating with other architects just to be able to get total control. And so we did work for other other architects, which most design builders don't want to do, certainly not yeah. on the residential side anyway. And, you know, after a while, being relational, our clients would say to us, hey, you did our house a couple of times. What about my office? What about my retail space? So we developed a boutique practice of medical office and law office and banquet facilities and clubhouses. And we worked along those lines until 16 years ago, being, again, taking being opportunistic and taking advantage of opportunities. We formed a business called Mosaic Construction, which has then since turned out to be our umbrella uh, business. Okay. And uh, what we do under Mosaic's uh, vertical is we do exterior improvements, both for individual single families, homes, and for larger scale capital projects in the multifamily space. And then we also, in the multifamily space, do unit turns where apartments are being updated or maybe converted to condos. And we do amenity spaces and lobbies and hallways and what have you. And uh, along those lines, we worked for you know the past 25 years until six years ago, one of our commercial clients called us up and said, hey, we just won three medicinal dispensary licenses. We absolutely don't have any idea what we're doing in this space. And we're pretty <laughs> sure you don't know what you're doing in this space, but you're our trusted partner. And we're going to figure it out together. And so we started out by designing and building three medicinal dispensaries here, local in Illinois. And our clients decided to expand further. And that got us thinking, again, being opportunistic about how we could expand our footprint more along the lines of larger multi-state design build firms. And so we went along with them. And Six years later, and over 35 units between dispensaries, cultivations, and processing centers in 10 states, here we are. 
Yeah. Under cannabis facility construction. So we've got three verticals. Yeah. yeah. And I'm curious, as you got into, you know, the Canada space, what, um, I guess, what was different than either, you know, working in different industries or building, you know, facilities of different types? Like what, what did you have to learn or navigate? What were you surprised by as you got into cannabis? Well, Bruce, we were so fortunate that we had a couple of things going for us. A, we were able to get involved in an industry that was still in its infancy so that we had the opportunity to see what people did well and even more importantly, what people didn't do well. There's a great saying by Jack Welch, anything worth doing is worth doing poorly. So we we were able to see that and we were able to get that experience alongside of our clients who also didn't have that experience previous. And so we were a... Um, we were really able to to garner an incredible amount of information because it is so completely different on the medicinal side and recreation is a, recreational is a little bit different. You know, you're looking at creating a building where security and operations are absolutely paramount. There's absolutely no room for zigging or zagging in any direction that certainly in, in most states and certainly in Illinois, every square inch of any facility, whether it's dispensary or its cultivation has to be under constant surveillance and has to be connected directly to the state police with uh, backup, offsite backup of recorded imaging. And so that's never been anything that had been a part of any work that we did. So imagine marrying a doctor's office with a bank with uh, retail. And yeah. so there are definitely firms out there that have built banks, built doctor's offices, which we did, and built retail, which we did. Mm-hmm. But to combine those and then to be able to understand the nuances of the codes and the laws as they're being developed in real time. And so if you might remember in Illinois, it was a program initially. It wasn't even a, a full-fledged initiative and in law passed. And so as projects are being built, they're moving and jiving and, and changing, and, and you've got to be flexible and be able to adapt to that. Now, the the cultivation and processing side is completely different. It, it, the only thing that I could describe that might be close is if you were involved in building grow facilities in the food service industry. So yeah. there are there are definitely indoor grows that have come to the forefront for lettuce and other other vegetables, but the security is different. And I think there's one yeah, other nuance. No one's, no one's trying to steal lettuce out of a, <laughs> out of a, out <laughs> no of a cultivation try- facility. No one's trying to steal lettuce. And I think there's another thing that most people don't realize is that the cannabis plant is so sensitive to anything, including infiltration of pathogens and yeah. mold and dirt and what have you, much differently than lettuce. First of all, if your lettuce gets mold on it, you throw the lettuce out, you're not, you're not talking about I mean, you, I suppose, you, I mean, I haven't done that work, so I, I don't know if it's seven figures, but you lose a crop in cannabis, it's easy seven figures oh, yeah. to be able to uh, uh, lose. And then you got to start that process all over again uh, from mothers through veg to uh, to flower and, and, the, and the rest of the way. So that was a huge learning curve. And as I said from the beginning of this, we're so fortunate that our clients did not know and the industry matured even to where it is now. As I say, I think it is still very juvenile. This industry's got so far to go and it is changing more rapidly than I remember in my lifetime the tech the tech industry changing. Yeah. Yeah, a lot a lot of moving parts. Right. So, I mean, you mentioned that this is kind of like a mashup of of different buildings or different kind of construction scenarios or or at least building scenarios in terms of 
you know, actually doing the building process, permitting, you know, getting uh, certificates of occupancies and things like that. Like, how how was the building process different in working with cannabis than other types of facilities? So that's another good question. And I think it goes back to the initial comment that I was making about here in Illinois. Imagine the states who are passing these laws and passing these programs. They're just figuring it out on the fly. By the time yeah. the information gets down to the jurisdictions in, in code, they don't really know. And, and I'll tell you an interesting story about that in a second. So we have found that if you, our feeling in general has always been whenever we're working in somebody's home, we're working in a downtown office building or an apartment building, or we're working in a jurisdiction, the first thing we do is we go into that management organization and say, we're just guests in your area. We need to know what your expectation is of us so that we can provide you everything that you want. And if you do that initially, especially in a business where things are changing and evolving all the time, they look to you then to see what's normal and what's not beyond what is just code compliant from a life safety and a structural standpoint. And really most jurisdictions are the most concerned with that. They want to make sure that they're protecting the general public. If God forbid there's a fire, if God forbid there's some kind of security breach, if God forbid making sure that whatever we're installing is structurally sound. And so I can tell you, for example, in we did a project out in Massachusetts and the Cannabis Commission out there was asking us to help them define what the rules and regs were in relation to construction so that they could pass that on to the local jurisdictions. In Michigan, where there was an interesting conflict, is that, and I I don't know if the law has changed in the last year, but the way Michigan works retail is that you have to be allowed as a patron off the street to come into any facility at all and be able to use their restroom facilities. And the interesting challenge, as you can imagine, especially with cannabis, is security. So if you don't have a public bathroom in the public space, and it's in the limited or restricted access spaces, you've got an issue. And we did a project, actually, in Michigan, where the state plumbing inspector was not going to grant us a final inspection so we can get a certificate of occupancy because we were in an existing facility that you had to pass through with an escort to be able to get to a public bathroom that was always existing in this building, but it was behind where our space was. And we literally had to have a negotiation between the Cannabis Commission in Michigan and the state plumbing inspectors and the owners and us for them to understand that the situation that we had is that patrons are not allowed into the building without showing proper ID. So Mm -hmm. it really wasn't a facility that was open to the general public. Now, you can imagine the nuance of trying to figure that out in real time. So you can't wait for a lawsuit or any kind of uh, legislation change to be able to address it. You got to be able to sit down and be pragmatic and have those conversations. So the challenge is certainly out there. Yeah. The whole idea that they're kind of making up the rules as you go <laughs> and, and right. actually kind of asking you what the rules should be. It's like, what rules should I hold you to? Uh, it's just, it's so, it's so cannabis, right? It's just so indicative of where we are. You know, it kind of is an industry and the changing nature of this and the kind of the, you know, everything is a bit in flux. Have you been kind of involved in these different kind of builds out and in different parts of the growth chain here? What have been the kind of the more interesting things? I mean, we talked about some of the cultivation side. As you look at the processing side, the dispensary retail side, what have been some of the interesting kind of challenges or what have come up in those areas? So I think what's been interesting really is 
seeing how, again, how the industry is evolving and how it's evolving so fast. On the processing side, when we first did our, our first processing center, in order to be able to make a, an area for the processing to be able to control it, we actually had to use what was effectively a paint booth because it had to be an explosion-proof room uh, to be able to accommodate the work that was being done. Mm. And today, there are pieces of equipment that are the size of desks that do exactly the same thing. So the challenge was and is staying up on what the latest products are that are in the marketplace and being able to adapt the design and construction to it. I think that's really a, a big challenge on the on the processing side. Yeah, on the on the cultivation side, it is everybody is as they're understanding the science and it is really mm-hmm. a science to grow. Again, it's a, such an interesting industry, right? Because when yeah. it first started, you had really two groups of people. You had the people that were growing a few plants in their basement and then there were the the industry professionals out there that saw this as a business and try to figure out how to be able to scale it and then ultimately monetize it. And so on the cultivation side, the challenge really is how do we continue to create the best grow environment for the particular operation that's asking for it, and which is not only just control of the individual room within the room, but you're talking about fertigation and HVAC and lighting and how does all of that work with controls so that the you don't have as much tinkering but yet you do have enough that it's not totally automated. Because what I have found out with the plants and talking to growers and processors, I think it's interesting because we came from a background of doing retail and some of the retail that we did, I mean, as we developed from residential, some of the retail that we did was some was catering in restaurants as well. And so if you were to talk to a chef, mm-hmm. uh, you know, every chef has got their own idea about a particular dish and they could use the exact same pieces of equipment as everybody else but you know the temperature they cook it at the length of time they cook it at the ingredients they use is all a little bit different those nuances and it's the same thing with growers and processors so they've got to be able to tinker in those areas so that it can't just be totally automated that you are totally growing and this is what you're growing and this is how you're growing it i mean i suppose it can be if you're just growing for volume but the, mm-hmm. the clients that we have are not just growing for volume they're really growing for uniqueness and quality of product and they spend all sorts of time in genetics and propagation trying to create new strains and new products. Yeah. And, and tell us a little bit about the, the growth facilities. I mean, how, how big have, have these things gotten for you and, and how, how has that changed, how you've approached it and you know what complications come up when you start to scale these cultivation facilities? So we started out by building the first phase of a two-phase project that was ultimately 70,000 square feet, but it started out in two phases of 35,000 square feet apiece. And most of the facilities that we have built have been in that 35 to 70,000 square feet uh, range. We are looking at some additional new projects now that are multiples larger than that. 100,000 square foot out east, a uh, couple hundred thousand square feet in in the you know eastern part, but more but closer to the Midwest area. And um, you know, for us, scaling isn't really a, a big deal because it's really just multiples of rooms that we've already done. I think the challenge out there for people that want to get into this business on the construction side and for clients to understand is that you do need to have an education of what's out there in order to be successful or you have to be willing to accept the fact that there are going to be additional costs involved, whether it's cost of timing or cost of dollars in order to get people up to speed as to as to how to accomplish this. 
And uh, when you're talking about an industry today that's now become so competitive where speed to market is the is, is probably the single most important thing. Yeah. Uh, I know that our clients are making decisions that they'd be willing to pay more money to get done faster than they would uh, just to save a few bucks and lose two, three weeks of production time or of retail time. Yeah. Uh, curious on the retail side, I'm just having having visited lots of dispensaries and, and had a range of customer experiences, shall we say. Yes. Um, how have you kind of approached this or what's been your kind of experience in working on the, you know, the retail side and really where, you know, people go to get these products and what have you, I guess, what have you run into? How have you approached this? Where do you think this kind of part of the industry is at this point? Well, so let's start with the different nuances between medicinal and, and recreational because that's changed, you know, quite a bit when you talk about uh, the environment in these dispensaries tour out west in Colorado and Arizona, we saw everything from a doctor's office to a glorified Starbucks or Apple store. And what we found was those were all very interesting, but Illinois is a very conservative, which is where we started with the initial three. Illinois is very conservative. And certainly six years ago, the acceptance of the plant in general, even talking about it, much less loan the use, was not what it is today. And so we said to ourselves after coming back with our client, if it was your grandmother coming in to get medicine for the first time, what kind of an experience would she want to have? And so we decided that we were going to produce something that was totally client-centric based on the operational desires that our clients were expressing to us that they wanted to achieve and to be able to have an atmosphere where people felt comfortable more along the lines of a wellness facility or a uh, spa type facility. And so what our clients really understood and it helped them, which they actually became a multi-state operator and sold to a large publicly traded company. So they certainly had the secret sauce correct is that they started taking away market share from other other medical dispensaries because the client experience was something that was that was took a uh, took a uh, tone with their constituents yeah. that they that it was something that where they wanted to be. And, and I think that's something that people really need to consider, because at the end of the day, because you can't cross state lines with the plant or with any product that's associated with the plant at this point, that you are limited to what you can buy in the jurisdiction that you're in. Yeah. And so most everybody has very similar, if not the same, products. The issue, unless you're producing it yourself vertically, integrated with a with a uh, cultivation or processing center. Yeah. And so, so the challenge with that is, how do you compete? Do you compete based on price or do you compete based on what the client experience is. And yeah. our clients decided that they were going to compete on what the customer experience is. And they were able to translate that into the retail side because they already had a presence. People already knew. It felt high quality. It wasn't just selling something at the lowest price. It was absolutely giving the clients a the option of being able to come in and buy something direct if they knew what it was, but it would give them the ability to be able to have a consultative approach on what it is that they were trying to uh, trying to acquire. And so I think as things have moved forward into retail and where retail is going, I think that uh, again, until you're able to get different products from different places, and of course, again, 
speaking of, of Illinois right now, it's limited to the initial cultivators and processors until they're able to pass the uh, and distribute the craft grow licenses as well as the 75 social equity dispensary licenses that mm-hmm. have been on the books for the last year and trying to get uh, forward past legal issues is that you are going to be limited to the products you get and where you get them from. So you got to be able to create an environment that's inviting and yet can be convenient for people if they know what it is that they want. And by the way, even people that know what they want, they still come in and want to know what is the latest and greatest, yeah. what's the latest product, what what does this do for me that's different than what I've been used to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it, it, there is still kind of a product exploration, you know, the new products coming online, you know, there's some process there that has to happen with the bud tender to kind of help navigate the, the product selection. I'm curious as, you know, as this market has expanded, how how have you found your clients? How have you, um, like, how do you engage in kind of this process? Who, who hires you? How does that work? Like, what's the business model at this point for you? Well, we are a relationship-based firm and having started with and continued to garner our successes over the last 30, almost 31 years, it's really been on our connections and relations and really almost all sort of grassroots marketing. We don't really go out and uh, we'll do podcasts like this from an information standpoint because we'd love to be able to get the information out. Mm-hmm. And really, I'm more interested when we have podcasts like this to be able to give some information out to people, whether they would hire us or they would hire somebody like us. They need to hire a company that understands and knows what they're doing. Yeah. We find our clients really because what ends up happening is it's uh, one client tells another client, hey, this is these guys have done you know, a really good job for us. You ought to talk to them uh, because it's interesting. It's a very small industry out there. Obviously, it's getting bigger and bigger and bigger. But yeah. from the standpoint of how people know each other, most of the owners of these, certainly these multi-state operators know each other and they're willing to share best practices and best products and, and even best resources. And so we have been able to expand our client base through that and as well as different groups have splintered off of our original client base and they've mm-hmm. gone off to form their own companies, whether they be going to work for MSOs or becoming independents and eventually becoming MSOs. We uh, we have been able to work successfully with them. And so we'll do work with anybody who's in the industry, whether it's a single retail store or it's for a multi-state operator or it's a cultivation. It's really for us, it's about our clients and, and we have to be aligned. There is so much work out there. This is, I remember one of my MSO clients mentioned that this was a $150 billion a year illegal business mm-hmm. that is coming online to be a legal business. And so there's so much opportunity out there that we certainly can't be everything to everybody. But for our purposes, the value add that we have for our clients is if they're truly interested in a design build partner that is really looking out for their best interest because, again, we don't charge a percentage of construction, but really look at it from a stipulated sum consultative basis that we have skin in the game from time, and they could go off and do what they need to do by growing their business or operating or monitoring their business, we're a good fit. If someone's looking completely as a transaction, even if we are the least expensive guys in the block, it's still not a good fit because it's just, it's not, uh, they wouldn't understand or appreciate all of the extra things that we do that most of our competition doesn't do. And and so, for instance, again, whether it's us or whether somebody who's listening would want to hire somebody like us, we had two projects for two MSOs that we we independently found that they were in enterprise zones, which meant that they were tax-free. Client would ha- had no idea about that. And so if, I would suggest that in the industry, if we were a typical group, 
we might just take those additional profits and put them in our pocket. We we didn't do that. We notified our client and we rebated them back. And in one situation, we saved our client about a half a million dollars. So that's great. You know, it's just a different mentality. And and I think those people that are looking for that and appreciate that, that's where we've had our, our biggest successes. That's great. And if people want to find out more about you, about the work that you do, what's the best way to get that information? The best way to do it is to go on our website at cannabisfacility.net. There they could um, get some information. There's a a box you can check to get some information. And we have, uh, it's not just information where you're going to go get sent a brochure. We have people who are in management here that will respond to every inquiry and have a deeper dive uh, conversation and discussion. That's great. Andy, thank you so much for taking the time today. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you. I appreciate it very much. That's it for this episode of Thinking Outside the Bud. Be sure to subscribe using your favorite podcast app so you don't miss our future episodes. See you next time. You've been listening to Thinking Outside the Bud with business coach Bruce Eckfeldt. To find a full list of podcast episodes, download the tools and worksheets, and access other great content, visit the website at thinkingoutsidethebud.com. And don't forget to sign up for the free newsletter at thinkingoutsidethebud.com forward slash newsletter. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.